Christmas movie house. Merry Christmas, Emporium. Merry Christmas, you wonderful old building alone. In jail. Go on home. They're waiting for you. Hello and welcome again to another episode of A Thousand and One by One, where we take a film out of the wonderful book, A Thousand and One Movies You Must See Before You Die, discuss it, analyze it, and ultimately decide whether or not it should be in the book. My name is Adam St. John. And I am Ian Waddington. And we are Merry f- Christmas. I say we're a few days before Christmas. Yeah, but- so, um, and if you, which will, when we get to the bulk of the episode, you realize that we are doing a very Christmas themed episode. Yeah. But before we get to our wonderful, wonderful film that we'll be talking about, Ian, do you have a recommendation for this week? I have a recommendation that I'm still in two minds about. Great. It is the Ballad of Buster Scruggs. I haven't seen it yet. I, we- so I am a huge unrepenting coen brothers fan the coen brothers films have frequently made it to my number one spot when i do my my year-end best list sure uh 2008 i think i had burn after reading at number one uh this is a really controversial opinion in 2009 i had a serious man as my favorite film of the year oh man i don't care i love that film. well no and all all i'm gonna say is as much as i i'm not a big fan of that movie the coen brothers do make movies that you have to, to talk about yeah so and 2013, Inside Lewin Davis. Has Absolutely. grown on me. I oh, did not good. like it the first time. I'm really happy to and hear that. I think I've seen it twice since the theaters, and this last time I watched it, I it probably cracked into my top five Coens. Oh, really? Yeah. That's awesome to hear. Yeah. Because it's definitely in my top five Coens. Like I said, it was my number one pick of, of 2013. But Ballad of Buster Scruggs, yeah, I still don't know what to think about this. It's Like most Coen Brothers movies, I do think most of their films require a second viewing. I'm not sure if this one does. Okay. I, I definitely, I, when Liz and I got done watching it, we were like, yeah, that probably would have been better as a miniseries because I know it was pitched to Netflix as uh, a six-episode miniseries because there are six stories in it. Gotcha. The, the There's one story in there. I believe it's the second one in particular, the James Franco one. I feel like the whole thing was done just for the punchline at the end, which they used in the trailer for it. It was like, oh, your first time when they're up there at the, at the hangman's noose. The, the whole thing is really set up just for that punchline. So if you've seen the trailer, that story is kind of ruined for you. <laughs> okay. All right. Um, there's a really great one, though, that I felt like could have been expanded into a full 45-minute episode, and it's the uh, Zoe Kazan one. Okay. Where she's the lead in that. As it's, the, the, it's a wagon train heading to Oregon, I believe. Her brother dies, and so she's left alone, and she's left with a guy that's tending to their wagon who is kind of flip-floppy about whether he wants to continue helping her or not, because now that the brother's dead, am I going to get paid when I'm supposed to get paid? It's a, the, the problem with it when you approach the film as a whole is that tonally all six of the stories are very different. Sure. And so I don't know if it comes down to maybe these stories are in the wrong order or maybe they really should have been a full episode each. Mm-hmm. But they're certainly, like the James Franco one, there's, enough, there's not enough meat on that one to sort of justify a full episode. Of a, of a TV show. Okay. There's a lot to like in it, but there's also a lot to kind of, like, cock an eyebrow at and go, really? Especially the end of the first one, the the actual the Buster Scruggs okay. story. And that's the thing, was calling it the Ballad of Buster Scruggs, I thought that he was going to act as something of a narrator 
through them, and he's not. Okay. Like, he's in the first one, and then we never see him again. Sure. So a kind of uh, wasted opportunity to get a little more bang for your buck out of Tim Blake Nelson, because he's fantastic as Buster Scruggs. Sure. It's really a shame that he's gone after that first one. But anyway, I, I would love to know what you think of it when and if you get around to watching it. Oh, it, it's on the list. Yeah. It is on the list. Yeah. I mean, there's some really gut-busting, laugh-out-loud funny things in it that I loved. Yeah, it's it's probably within the next week we'll be watching it. Oh, really? It. Excellent. Yeah. So what do you have for us today, Adam? So... In this merry Yuletide season. Exactly. And I got to say that the the movie I'm talking about is, uh, is a couple of holidays gone by. This is very much a Halloween kind of movie that oh, I'm going to talk about. And I've, on multiple occasions, referenced how did this get made, the podcast where they, they take yeah. bad movies and they talk about them. Which leads into part one of this discussion, which is Ian, a long time ago, uh, mentioned uh, Vampire's Kiss, which Melissa and I watched again pretty recently. And you have to see this movie. You have to see Wait, this movie. Are you are you on my side? Oh, yes. Oh, you for the win. Half this guy right here. To see this movie. Bringing it home with it the Nick Cage. Is, it is insane. Yeah. And I, this is not my, my recommendation, so I'm not going to talk about it too much. Okay. But right now... As of this recording, it is on Prime. Go watch it. Do yourself a favor. Please have a couple of drinks. Don't, yeah, get, don't get sloshed, but but be drinking. Yeah, just have like a good, comfortable, warm yes, little buzz on. It I mean, is, it's, the, it's the time of year for us. Oh, so my God. Get yourself some hot so toddies or something. great. So what I will say, though, is how did this get made? I've seen a lot of bad movies recently because of the podcast. Vampire's Kiss, is, I would say, is a very close second or third in terms of like, this is actually really entertaining I am oddly obsessed with one of these movies that I just saw based on the, the podcast, but based on a, kind of a weird recommendation from it. Have you seen Sleepaway Camp? No, but I've heard of it. Okay. And I'm going to spoil this movie. So if you're listening to the podcast and you have any interest in seeing this mid-80s awful, awful horror movie, then skip ahead. Because plot details will probably come out. So it's a terrible movie. And... Essentially, it takes place at a sleepaway camp, and people start dying. That's like the most like basic, horrible description of the plot. To go a little bit deeper into it, at the very beginning, uh, a father and his 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 son and his daughter are on this boat, and they're in a kind of a weird boating accident, which is actually kind of funny the way that it happens. And it is implied that the father and the son have died, and so. Now, the daughter is living with, like, an aunt, and so uh, the daughter and her cousin are going to this camp, and the daughter's really quiet, and you don't know what's going on with her, and everybody's really mean to her because she doesn't talk, so a lot of the girls that she bunks with and everybody, are just, they pick on her quite a bit, and so people start dying, and you can't really tell who the killer is. That's part of it is who's, yeah. who's the killer, what's going on, and so we get to the end of the movie, and I'm skipping over a lot of it because you have to see this movie. The ending is one of the funniest endings of all time, and yet it's also one of the creepiest, scariest images I've ever seen in my life. And it's that's, it's a, that's un- a big sell. It's unfortunate that the movie is not told very well because yeah. essentially what happens is this girl who's finally come out of her shell a little bit, she's kind of met this boy, and the very, very last part of this movie is these two camp counselors walk up on her, and she's from behind. You can only see her from behind. It looks like she's crate like the, that the guy's laying in her lap and she's kind of stroking his hair and they're both naked. And right before the next thing happens, we get like a flashback where 
this girl's aunt is talking to a little boy saying, oh, Ricky is going to love having a cousin, but I already have a boy, so I'm going to dress you as a girl. Don't don't tell me anymore because I'm I'm in this now. I don't want to know how this ends. Oh, man, really? I don't. Okay. I, you said I have to see it. Okay. But that so the the basically the way so the way I'm not, I'm not trying to be rude and cut no, you off or that's anything, fine. but I'm I'm legitly like leaning forward. Okay, like. so the way it, but the way it ends, and I won't I won't say, it, but the way it ends, it's actually one of the great great endings to like a scary movie. It's just the delivery of it. It's not as good as it could have been. Oh, that's a but shame. But it is like it's at one point hilarious, and at one point. Like Jesus, what am I looking at? What what is happening? I'm I'm totally oddly obsessed with this movie, and and again, I th- I think as of this recording, it is on Prime. You have to watch it. You have to watch this movie. I am a I am a sleepaway camp pundit, and I'm telling you to watch this movie. <laughs> Excellent. And I have no segue into our main topic as to other than say that that was a a very holiday kind of a, a movie. It's yeah, very specific it's, it's to the, Halloween. Yeah, it's the wrong holiday. Right? It is. It, it's Christmas time. But now coming to Christmas time. We're talking about probably one of the most iconic Christmas movies ever. One of the most iconic movies, regardless of Christmas. Sure. Uh, and we are talking about... Because it's odd how little of the film actually takes place at Christmas. It, yet yeah. It is regarded as this uh, holiday uh, classic. We'll get to that, because I definitely have that same thought, too. We were talking about the Frank Capra classic, It's a Wonderful Life. It came out in 1946, starring the the wonderful Jimmy Stewart, who may be in my top five actors of all time. I, I love me some Jimmy Stewart. And he and he often, I, I guess he was quoted as saying that George Bailey was the favorite of all the characters he ever played. Not the favorite film that he'd ever been sure. in. Sure. Because that was Harvey. But uh, I, can, I, can, I can see that, though. Yeah. Because Harvey is just good fun. I didn't write down all of the uh, all of the characters I wanted to because there's actually quite a bit. Like a lot of the townspeople are really great roles. Um, well, and they're from the, that. They've all worked with most of them worked with Capra before. I mean, it's a lot of his old acting trope. Like a lot of people that he would recast. Yeah, yeah. But some of the main players, uh, obviously, Jimmy Stewart is George. Donna Reed is Mary. Lionel Barrymore is Mr. Potter. Which uh, Lionel Barrymore is Drew Barrymore's great uncle. Yes. Yes. Thomas Mitchell as Uncle Billy, and then I also wrote Henry Travers as Clarence. But there's also there's Mr. Gower, there's um, the bartender, there's there's um, the martinis, there's Burton Ernie. I mean, seriously, there's there's Sam Wainwright. I mean, the cast is huge. Yeah. So sorry, I didn't go. You know, I could have given you in George's parents and his brother. I, I picked the ones that I think maybe the most screen time. But but you can you could talk about any of these people. Oh, yeah. And uh, while we're talking about the the cast of characters, I didn't realize until this viewing that the uh, the Uncle Billy character played by Thomas Mitchell that's the dad from Gone with the Wind. Oh really? Yeah. See, I've only seen Gone with the Wind once, and I don't ever want to see it again. No, fair oh, enough. I'll have to, but but yeah. 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 So uh, Frank Capra, he is in the book a uh, good amount of times. Let me yeah. give you his um his films in the book the bitter tea of general yen i never even have heard of this movie just so that you're aware um it happened one night can't wait to get to that movie i love that film mr deeds goes to town haven't seen it i know about it but i haven't seen it well i haven't seen that one or the next one i haven't oh seen. mr smith goes to washington I've never seen mr smith that's a good one yeah it's a, I, and i honestly if jimmy sir had said his favorite role would have been uh mr smith goes to washington that wouldn't surprise me either yeah accolades dude it, the list goes on 
Not at the Oscars, though. No, not it at the Oscars. It lost in all five of its categories that it was nominated in, though it did get a technical award. Yeah, for the uh, their innovations in the, the snow that they right. made. Did you know what they used to do before? It was cornflakes. Yes, it was. Yeah. and they Which sim- made the dialogue. Yeah. Uh, you couldn't hear the dialogue, so all the dialogue would have to be looped as they were stepping on those crunchy cornflakes. Yeah. Yeah. So they, and I, I, I didn't write down exactly how they made it. But but it was a mixture of things. That they yeah. Made it, yeah. So they yeah they innovated snowfall in film, and so they got the special. They got the technical achievement award. Well, and that's still something that is used today. Yeah. Yeah. So, so do you want to go down what it was nominated for? So yeah, it won. It was nominated for best picture, director, actor, editing, and sound. So it lost all of those to best years of our lives. A William Wyler film. Yes. Who ended up being a producer producing partner of uh, Capra's at Liberty Films. Yes. Except for sound recording, which it lost to the Jolson story. Oh, I, I could see that, yeah. yeah. The Golden Globes were a thing back then. It won Best Director. That it, had to be one of the first. It had to, yeah, it had yeah. to have been. It was the National Board of Review's Best Film of the Year. Hey, Ian, was this film put into the National Film Registry? In 1990, Look yes, at that. it was. Look at that. Um, it also won Best Director at the New, York, uh, the New York Film Critics Circle. It is currently number 20 on the AFI's top 100 list. It used to be number 11. It did used to be number 11. Uh, I think, remember, we're talking about American films. I think that's, I think actually somewhere between 20 and 11 is pretty spot on for this. That's fair. It is currently on the IMDb 250 at 24. Do you know what's just above it? No. Science of the Lambs. Of course. So as as far as like two, as opposite as you can get, right next door to each other. Yeah. Um, and Rotten Tomatoes, of course, pretty high. Yeah. I, this now, now ninety three and ninety five for the audience. Now I'm wondering because I, I can't actually. Is this the first time the audience score has been higher than the critics that we've done? Yeah, I think it has. I, I think it might be, which yeah. is because I feel like they're always just a tad behind. Yes. But no, this is one where the audience enjoys it more than the critics, which doesn't shock me because no. I could see because actually a lot of what I read is that initially this was sort of kind of a, a schlocky like yeah. oh this is just feel-good movie stuff, and it's whatever. It's not no, actually... people wanted something at the time. You're coming out of the war. They wanted something that, you know, we've just gone through. We want something that says a little more. Well, you know what's funny is actually this... I, I read a lot of stuff that compared this to another movie we've already talked about, which is a matter, matter of life, life and death. death. Um, and that same sentiment of, of we, something cheery, post-war, good time feels. Yeah, so yeah. that's interesting. Which is, we, you think people would want, but apparently they didn't. Yeah, yeah. which is... Yeah, N- whatever. Yeah. Do you have any uh, reviews or tidbits that you want to throw out there? Uh, I actually don't, other than as while we're talking about A Matter of Life and Death, I will say that I prefer the opening of A Matter of Life and Death to this one. I do agree that the opening of this one is far schlockier, if that's a if that's a word. It is now. I Yeah, I agree. Yeah, There's something a bit more tongue-in-cheek I do. about Matter of Life and oh, Death. Oh, I, I agree. I in, do. in fact, about the whole movie in general, I think, is more oh, tongue-in-cheek. Yes. Yeah, I, oh, I totally agree. I think that's just the, kind of the, the approach to it. Yeah, it's more of a, it's got that British sense of humor. I do... I'm not a religious person at all, but I, I actually really, I kind of enjoy this idea that if enough people are praying at the exact same time for the exact same thing, that like this divine intervention can happen. And yeah. I don't know. I, and again, it's, it's very lighthearted. It's very, it's very feel good. Yeah. The Clarence character, I'm not going to lie, is, does irritate me. Oh, he doesn't bug me so much. Yeah. I just, I do, I do, I don't know. I don't know why I find it just cute and whatever that, you know. Enough people care about this celestial guy. celestial bodies up there that yeah. are hearing all of this. And yeah. It's all they're hearing, so let's do something about it. I'm not... Okay, I want to re- read this this little tidbit that I had. This is from uh, Burt Briller of Variety, the original review. 
Capra brought back to life all his old-time craft, delicate devotion to detail, and character delineation, as well as his sure-footed feeling for true dramatic impact, as well as his deft method of leavening humor into right spots at right times. He again proves he can fashion what ordinarily would be homilizing hokum into gleaming, engaging entertainment for all brows high, low, or beetle. Capra may not have taken here the stride forward in filmmaking technique he achieved in It Happened One Night, but no past Capra celluloid possessed any greater or more genuine qualities of effectiveness, which I like. And actually, there's a bit from the book, our tome of movies, that I really liked, and you kind of hinted at this earlier about it, is this really a Christmas movie when really only a little bit of it takes place on Christmas? Yeah, the last 20 minutes or so. It's a Wonderful Life remains a holiday favorite for its uplifting message tempered by a foreboding notion of what if. Viewed on a big screen without any holiday distractions, the film is actually more of a delightfully shrewd screwball comedy packed with fast, incisive observations on love, sex, and society. Which is really true. Yeah. And I, you think about all the kind of fun stuff that happens early on. I mean, the there's dance. the stuff, yeah, where the floor opens up yeah. to the swimming pool. That's great. Yeah. And then there's the, I mean, we'll jump right into it, the, the lasso of the moon scene. Is there is there dialogue more romantically inclined than that? Because I can't think of it right now. Oh, it's uh, well. I mean, yeah, it's the best it's romantic piece of dialogue in film history. It's great. That and that's, I, I will stand by that statement. I, I love it. Yeah, it's what do you, what do you want? You want the moon? I'll just lasso it. And, okay, yeah. so I'm, I'll, I'll just say you, this. You probably know it verbatim better than I do. Well, no, well, no, but it's it's funny you say that, and I, I'll just say this. I'll just get out of the way right now. Uh, a few years ago, I actually was in a production of It's a Wonderful Life, the live radio play version of It's a Wonderful Life. And oh, I, I actually played George Bailey. How hard was it not to imitate Jimmy Stewart? Really? Very difficult. Did you not just, like, slip into Jimmy? And... I did at rehearsals intentionally, but yeah. never never on stage because I wanted to do my own thing. Although, yeah. th- this was about four or five years ago, and I watched it for the first time. To, to get familiar with it because I never had. It never was a tradition to watch that movie. And then I, I watched it and I was like, oh, I'm stepping into some huge shoes here. Yeah, it's not, yeah. Um, but I'm, gl- I'm glad I did it. And yeah. Uh, But yeah, it, the dialogue is so great in this. Yeah. I also love, I loved reading the tidbit that they, they hired uh, somebody to throw a rock for Donna Reed and then she actually just did it herself because she yeah. was a great, great softball player and just, yeah, yeah. just owned it. I love that. Yeah. I think that's great. That's fantastic. Now, before we actually delve into the movie, I have one thing I want to ask you about because I feel like it's one of these things that's become like a Hollywood thing. Like it's, it's become like folklore and now it's true. But I, so there's, I read multiple things that when uncle Billy is leaving the kind of the wedding party and he's all drunk and stuff and he, he goes to walk off and we hear the crash of the garbage cans. What I heard was that that was an extra or not an extra. That was somebody on the crew dropping something while they were shooting. Yeah. And that Uncle Billy just rolled with the dice. Said, oh, I'm fine. Yeah. I don't believe that. Do you think that's... I think it's become a fun story that we want to be true, but I don't I don't think that it's I true. don't think it's beyond the realm of possibility. I agree, but I'm also... It seems a little too good to be true. Yes. I, and I'm, yeah, and I'm thinking maybe it's, it's a marriage of the two where that happened and they recorded it. And they decided, oh, wait, that was really funny. Let's reshoot it. And yeah. get and keep the joke, yeah. Because I don't believe that they would have kept like if somebody on set had dropped something in the middle of a shoot, you know, somebody would have been like, "Cut!" Yeah. So I don't know. I'm I don't know how I feel about it. So let's talk about the plot a little bit. I mean, if you don't, if you've been living under a rock your entire life and have not seen it, but I say that 
I saw this film for the first time last year. See, and I wasn't too much. I wasn't too much longer yeah. than you. Yeah. And we've made it into our thirties. Yeah. So no, it's I get you. But it's really it's not a, again. It's not a very complicated plot. Like if you break, if you really, if you take out all the nuance and the 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 great dialogue and the great performances. Well, it's seventy five percent. More than seventy five percent of the film is a flashback. Yeah, true. Yeah, or somebody it is. telling a story of somebody's life. You could interpret that as being a flashback. I yeah. guess if you want. So the story revolves around George Bailey. Essentially, it's on Christmas Eve night. That's where the, the movie starts. It's Christmas Eve, and a lot of people are worried about George Bailey. And through flashbacks, we see him grow up. It starts he, in nineteen nineteen, I believe. Yeah, it's yeah, it's. That sounds about right. Yeah. They live in this town called Bedford Falls, and George's dad owns the the, the building and loan, which and the old man Potter basically owns the bank and everything else, and he's trying to bully him out. So that he can keep people living in his slums yes. rather than them getting a foothold and being able to get a building loan and live in their own house. And George has big plans, even from a kid. He wants to go see the world. He wants to travel. He wants to well, build things. He wants, not only does he want that, he wants to have a harem. He does want with, a harem. He does. With like three or four wives. Yes. Which it's kind of weird for like, how old do we think he is? Though? Oh, like, 12. Like, yeah. Maybe. Yeah. He's pretty young when he wants his multiple wives. Yeah. Although I do love, because... And he's got a copy of National Geographic. and Yeah. yeah. I do love... Because what we find out is that he, he saves his brother from uh, uh, falling into the ice early on. They're, they're sledding and he falls through ice. And his brother... George saves his brother from the ice. But because of it, um, one of his ears has been damaged. So he can't hear out of it. Yeah, he gets an infection that... And in that, in that scene at Gowers, when... Mary leans over and she goes, is this, is this your bad ear? He doesn't respond. And I, it's, yeah, it's so, she goes, George, I'll love you till the day I die. It's just, it's just there's just so many moments. Oh like my God. Movie. It's so, it's great. And you, and you immediately, you immediately love Mary. Yeah. Even, the, even when they're kids, it's yeah. great. I feel like I wanted to just say the, the, the grand, like the big plot, but I, I don't know that I can do it. I think, no, we just, I think we're going to have to go just, by it. Kind of by just, bit. well, not, not even bit by bit, but just the ones that stand yeah, out yeah, because yeah. so we're, we're at Gowers and he, he is dealing with the, the death of his son who died of the flu and he's, he's a bit drunk and he's trying to fill a prescription and George notices that it's, it's poison. He wants to talk to his dad, but his dad's in with Potter. So he comes back and, Gower gets a call from the woman who's supposed to get it, and there's this moment where Gower slaps him, and it's quite a brutal scene. It is, it is. I actually read that he he did hit the kid, and the kid got kind of scared, and so there was actually the, it the, feels very real. The little boy and and the guy who played Gower, um, actually, and getting getting along quite well, and the Gower felt so bad about the scene. Yeah, you know, I mean, it was all in. I mean, I don't think it surprised anybody. I think he was supposed to hit him, but I just a really tough scene to do. Well, and it certainly feels like he he probably went further than he meant to because it, it feels it feels big. Yeah, it feels like a big moment. You know, even at this age, we see that George has like just the best heart. Yeah, you know that that he wasn't doing anything to be mean. You know, and that and I love you know I won't tell anybody about your son or I won't that you're drinking. I don't I, or about the mistake. Yeah, I just you know I couldn't go do this and. And then Gower's rem- his immediate remorse and the hug Which and feels so genuine. It, it really it does it, it yeah it's and for as as forties of a movie as this is acting styles were different back then and everything it does still feel so genuine and honest yeah, the, it's, those, it's those not, moments it's not there's no big over the top performances in it really mm-hmm. I mean Uncle Billy kind of slips into a little bit schlocky here or there I and this is and probably the the effectiveness of the story. 
I hate Uncle Billy. Yeah, me too. I hate him so much. I might hate him more than Potter. That's a that's a bold statement, sir. It's one of those things where... Well, one, I mean, Barrymore is just a better actor. Well, sure. I just... I think it's more of the storytelling. It's not because of, of anything Thomas Mitchell did as Uncle Billy. Yeah. It's just... I think we're meant to be irritated by Oh, I Billy. know we are. I know we are. I know he's he's he was the brother of George's dad, and that George's dad was the one he was the building and loan. Potter even says that, or you know, he George or Peter Bailey was the building and loan. And it's true. Yeah. His dad absolutely was the building and loan. But it's like, then why I mean, I I understand this idea of giving your brother a job and, and keeping him in and making sure he's okay. But geez, don't give him any responsibility. Oh no. As we find out later. I'll, I'll save yeah. that for now. But why is there a crow in the building alone? I want to know this. Why does he have a pet crow? I don't. Why do people put up with that? I, I don't know. Now, did you, did you read about the crow? Yeah, he's been in the. I say he. I don't know. It could have been a, a, a girl crow. Oh, for all I know. Do I have the name? It, the, the crow was in several Capra films. Jimmy the Raven. Jimmy the Raven. Jimmy the Raven. Oh, excuse me. Then I, I I take back my statement about him being a crow. Then I apologize to to ravens everywhere. <laughs> I think they're fine. I would say that crows and ravens aren't our biggest audience, so I, I think we're okay. Uh, who knows? Yeah, I love that that, that became that became Capra's bird. Yeah, for because why not? Yeah, because why not? That, that may, yeah, it's not as talented as the 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 bullfinch in the samurai. No, not even close. No, no, no. Or as I would say, as important. No, because that crow is just annoying. Yeah, raven. Oh man, you you've done it now, man. We are the birds are coming after us. They are. Yeah, what else, man? I don't even know. I, well, here's the thing. There is so much. I was nervous when, when we decided we were going to do this one because it's one of those beloved films. In the same way, another episode that we're going to get to further down the line. We've got a Grapes of Wrath episode coming. Yeah. What, what do you say about a film like this that hasn't already been said? I mean, there's so much great documentary footage out there yeah. and, and people talking about the movie. There's so much trivia out there. I mean, we could sit here all day and just talk about the trivia. I mean, I won't. I mean, there's there's too much trivia to discuss here and now. I mean, I'll I'll bring up a couple of things that I that was interesting to me. Anyway. Yeah. Favorite of all of Capra's own films. He screened it every year for his family at Christmas. Apparently. Yep. The one thing that really did interest because there is a colorized version. I don't know if you've seen it. No, but apparently that was the first the first time Melissa ever saw it was the colorized version. Oh, that's interesting. I don't know that I could ever bring myself to see it. No, I, w- I wouldn't. Yeah. I just had a general principle I wouldn't. Anyway, so apparently Capra was originally very supportive of that. Yes! Like, he had seen, a f- like, a test. He had seen a few minutes of it and, like, threw out a whole bunch of money to co-finance it. You know, uh, some that was, I don't know, $25,000 or more or something yeah. like that. Ended up having his money returned to him because the company that was doing it was like, oh, this movie is... In the uh, in the public domain, the the rights for this were never renewed, so they gave his money back and cut him out of the creative process of colorizing it. And then he joined the Jimmy Stewart camp of being very vocal about trying to shut it down yeah. and not approving of it. Which is another, which leads into a whole other thing. I mean, the rights for this film yeah. have changed hands so many times. I Lionsgate owned it at one point. Oh, I, I didn't know that. Yeah, That's up funny. until two thousand five, Lionsgate owned it because uh, one of the the companies that had done a VHS version of it was bought up by Lionsgate. I mean, it, it, it passed hands so many times because RKO or whoever didn't was, renew was, the It was rights. Liberty, right? Well, I think RKO distributed it. Okay, okay. Liberty financed it. Gotcha. 
I, there were there were no less than four different versions on VHS throughout the eighties and nineties. Yeah, yeah. By four different companies. I mean, uh, an interesting thing it was the first full length movie ever on CD ROM. Yeah, I did write yeah. that too. Yeah, the the rights I think are now held by Paramount. That that's Lionsgate lost the right. They reverted back to Paramount. Okay. In '05, and then uh, it's held by different people in different regions of the world. Like Universal is the distributor in the UK, for, for okay. example. And then the other really big piece of trivia that struck me was Dalton Trumbo did a, uh, a draft. Yes, I did. I did read that Which was too. far more political in nature, as you would expect, I, yeah. of a, a Dalton Trumbo screenplay. And I guess it showed he was a, he was a politician who ran for office and lost the election, the, the George Bailey character this yeah. is, and uh, you know, attempts to kill himself after losing this very big election and so the guardian angel comes down and shows him what his life would have been like had he gone into business rather than politics oh okay i guess is what the bulk of that screenplay was i do think i do think the whole i think it's just interesting that that essentially the the genesis of this story was a greeting card well greeting card you should use that term loosely it was more like a 25 page pamphlet sure sure but But this really short thing and, and yeah no he couldn't get it who was the uh the original author was philip van doren stern who couldn't get it published to save yeah. his life and so he just did it himself and yep. sent like 250 copies out to friends and family where the it greatest f- gift yes. yes where it fell into the lap of one of rko's production managers who then passed it on to carrie grant's agent and it was originally going to be yes a carrie grant. grant picture yep yeah so i mean that's just some of the the true is there any trivial things about it that well you kind of you kind of talked about the political nature of of it and it, it makes me think of of um mr potter and you know one of the few movies that sort of defied the Hayes code about the villain not getting their comeuppets at the end oh that's right because he steals that money yeah. and we do not see him get any kind of punishment for doing it right something else i found too and uh things that were changed from the script because of the era um, they were not allowed to say jerk, lousy, or the phrase nuts to you. All of those were cut from the script, which, uh, I mean, I know you can't do certain, you couldn't do certain things back then, but come on, jerk or lousy. The, the thing that I, I found interesting that maybe defied the Hayes Code or maybe defied what the Catholic League of Decency felt about certain aspects of the film is that something that's worse than the jerk or lousy thing is when uh, he steps on a robe after the uh, last of the moon sequence yeah. and she dashes into the bushes and then he's very playfully kind of taunting her. Oh, a guy doesn't get a chance like this yeah. very often kind yeah. of thing. I'm like, well, maybe that's pushing the boundaries of 1946. I don't know. I, I mean, I, I totally get you. I, I think he actually pushed the boundaries more with uh, it happened one night. Oh, yeah. That I mean, and we're not talking about that movie, but you know, at least in the bush, you don't see you don't see her at all. You get the implication of what's going on. Yeah, yeah. But like you know, back then in 1935, he put two unmarried people in, a in the same room together. Yeah. That's that was back then. That was like whoo. Yeah, that was nuts. So yeah, nuts to you there. That, that's that's what he said to the Hayes Code. He exactly. Said, nuts exactly. to you. Uh, you mentioned before um, that this was initially attached to Cary Grant. Um, I didn't know if you wanted to talk a little bit about some of the other people who were up for other parts or who were considered, or I don't know if you knew. Yeah, no, they, they, they passed through quite a few. I don't. I know um, for the men, Cary Grant was the was the big one, and then yeah. apparently Henry Fonda also was oh, in the I running. Did, I did read Henry Fonda was. was um, a apparently, a lot of women 
were up for uh, what the role that ultimately Donna Reed got. Yeah, um, that passed through quite a lot of hands. Before. Initially, I think it was attached to Gene Arthur, who had worked with Capra and Stewart before on um, Mr. Smith Goes to Washington. Yeah. Um, I think she was on Broadway doing something. So then it went through Ginger Rogers was considered Olivia de Havilland and also um, Martha Scott, ultimately going to Donna Reed, who I think is just pitch perfect in this movie. Out of everybody on that list, I think Olivia de Havilland would probably have been... If I couldn't have Donna Reed, I'd probably Olivia to have a list. Yeah. No, I don't think Ginger Rogers is right, and I think Gene Arthur's a little too snarky. Yeah. I don't know if you... You haven't seen Mr. Smith Goes to Washington, but I, she de- definitely has that sarcastic snark mm-hmm. to her. And Donna Reed... You need somebody with a lot of, of levity and somebody with a, a yeah. lot of... You, you feel could have this level of patience and this sort of unrequited love. It just a, a softer sort of performance, yeah. I guess. I think one of the storylines that pays through the most that I, and, and maybe it's obvious now after seeing it three or four times, but I love that she, she breaks the window with the rock and, you know, he asks what she wished for and she doesn't say, and then he does it and he, he basically gives, he gives her the whole thing, right? Yeah. And I love it because that, that's not what comes true. George does not get his wish. And I love, I love it so much when after they basically save the building, they use their honeymoon money, yeah. right? And they save the building and loan. They, they they tie it over. They get to the end of business day, and he realizes, well, oh, they're, crap. they're they're married. Yes, this is oh, the day my honeymoon. Oh my god, I, yeah. I you know, and and he, he goes blows home. All the honeymoon money, and he goes home. Well, no, it's not that he blows it. She comes in with the money. Yeah. So it's not like he did it. I mean, she knew what. Well, what I say, he's, he blows through it. Yes. Yeah. To to give to all the people to get them through. Yeah. And then he gets he you know he he gets the call from her. You know, come home. Who's home? What what address? And he goes, and it's the old house that they broke the window. 320 Sycamore. And, you know, and she's done it up. And she tells him, you know, that was that was my wish. Yeah. And it's just, it's so, it's just wonderful. And then but what you realize, too, is that she's getting her wish throughout with the kids and everything else. And that George hasn't realized that this was the, I mean... It's obvious later on when he sees how good his life was, but maybe maybe I'm stretching way too far down the what if well. But what if George doesn't tell her what his wish is? Like, let's say he he breaks the window and it's great, and then they just they keep having their fun little back and forth yeah, sassy yeah. dialogue. Like, do you think I, this is we're totally hypothesizing? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Do you think George's life continues down the path? Oh yeah, there's there's two fate is going to intervene and mess with this man too much for all of those things not to happen. So, and if, and if fate won't, then Potter will. No, I, well, sure. But I also, I don't know. I, because, because we're in this world, I'm under the impression that the things happen the way they do because of Donna Reed's wish, because of Mary's wish. And because he says his and she doesn't. Yes. That's a great theory. I don't, I like, I, I like, I, no, I, no, I, no, it's good. I just, it's funny. Cause Things go such a specific way. Yes. I mean, all starting with his father having the stroke and dying. Yeah. And from there, it's just, it's domino. Which is, effect. and it's funny, it's actually, yeah, you mentioned that. And that is literally the next thing that happens. Yeah. You know, he, she, she's in the bush, and that car comes up. And it's like, Dad, your dad had a stroke. You gotta, you gotta come. And yeah. so he leaves that moment. But, yeah, I don't know. Well, before that, there's one of my favorite lines in the whole film with the uh, the guy out on his porch watching them have this. Are you gonna are you gonna kiss her or talk her to death? Yeah, that's that's good. The whole film has just some amazing dialogue. Yes, better dialogue than I think the film deserves. If I'm honest, 
It's it's great writing. Oh, I don't agree with. I would I would, I would probably phrase it. I think it's totally underrated dialogue. Yeah. Well, for such for the reason I say that is for such a saccharine, sappy kind of movie. Oh, sure, sure. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Because it could slip into TV movie of the week. Yeah. Before there was a TV movie of the week, but it <laughs> yeah. certainly could have been the the, the progenitor of that. <laughs> Just thematically and yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's funny watching the movie now and and having you know performed as George Bailey. You know, so many of the moments are iconic and stand out. And are, and and I I think from you know the acting perspective, I love I love the speech he gives Potter after you know after his dad's died, and they're talking about you know what's going to happen to the building and loan. And Potter basically puts to a vote: I want to I want to dissolve it. I want to take it down. I don't want it to be in existence anymore. And George gives that great. Great speech, despite his despite his intentions. Yeah, exactly. He, all he wants is out. Yeah, but once he starts down that path, the second he opens his mouth, that's that's it. It's interesting too that, I mean, well, he's still got. He thinks he's still got his brother to fall back on. Well, and that's, I'm that, gonna get to go now. My brother's gonna come back and take over. That's what I was gonna say, and I it's I wonder. I just wonder when it was gonna click with George because he was supposed to go even before then, right? And he doesn't. So he stays for his brother to come back, and then his brother comes back, and we find out that his brother is married, and he's got a job offer. And I actually wrote this down. I think the best acting performance of Jimmy Stewart in this movie that, that's not connected to any words is his reaction to him hearing that his brother has a job, and his brother comes You know, she, she spoke at a turn. I, I didn't say I was going to take it yet. And, he, and his brother walks away, and the camera lingers on him for like five to ten seconds, and you see him processing everything that that means. Yeah. And that, that basically means that he still is not going to get to leave Bedford well, and Falls. He has, and he has a moment that that continues that idea as well once we skip ahead a little bit more. And he actually succeeds in getting Bailey Park going, that that community. Yes. For all these people. And then Sam, the, the hee-haw guy. Which... <laughs> Christ's sake. <clears throat> Like that, and I'm sorry, Camp Town Races. Like, I never want to hear Camp Town Races again as long as I live. That's fine. Um, but there's that moment where he comes in and Sam is there to support the opening of, of Bailey Park and all these houses and the house that he gives. He, he, I think he gives the first house to Martinis. The Martinis, yep. And then, you know, he sees how successful Sam is in this, this plastics industry yeah. where, you know, he was offered a job at the ground floor and didn't take it. Yep. And the way he kicks the car door closed... That, that we start to see, that's the great thing about this Jimmy Stewart performance, is it's a building performance. It's a performance that has to gradually get to a boiling point. It's like it's like every episode of Faulty Towers. I don't know if you've seen no. John Cleese's Faulty Towers. That, I, know, I know of it. But every episode of that is just a build to a boiling point. Like the, It starts and then you're off to the races and it gets to a point where John Cleese has to lose his mind at the end of every episode. <laughs> And go on just some giant tirade because yeah. he just can't take it anymore. And that's 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 exactly this Jimmy Stewart performance. It has to build yeah. to that moment where he gets home, where Uncle Billy has lost the money. Oh, man. It's the most heartbreak. I There's so few other moments this heartbreaking in film. I mean, we've we've mentioned Schindler's List once or twice in other discussions, but you know the girl in the in the red yeah. coat yeah. is up there, and the moment obviously at the end where whoever saves one life saves the world entire that thing. Yeah. But that I put that in with this. There's the moment, and I know we're jumping way way ahead. Oh, we're all over the place. It's fine. Yeah, 
where he comes home and his daughter is playing. I do, what's the the piece? She's playing a Christmas carol on the on the piano. She's got to learn it for the school play or whatever. It's not Old Lang Syne. Um, I don't remember. No, because Old Lang Syne's. I know it's for the singing at the end, but I thought it was a tie-in. Um, I don't. I don't remember. No. Um. Anyway, so and he he grabs his youngest son and just clutches him like this is the last time I'm ever gonna hold my child. Yeah. Like I don't. That's I don't have a child, so I'm sure this moment. It's you harder know, to watch for a parent, yeah, knowing yeah. knowing that you know what Jimmy Stewart is going to do yeah. or attempt to do anyway. I mean, there's been I definitely had a, a, a visceral, and by visceral I mean crying response to yeah. that, that moment when well, I. Well, so did it. I. Like, I, I I'm um, comfortable enough in my masculinity to say that this movie makes me quiet, cry at least twice. I, I I I don't. I the only the movie that's affected me the most I've seen since having kids has been Room. When the first time I watched Room, oh, and and Stella was maybe like seven months old. And we were, we, she was asleep between Melissa and I when we watched it. It, it like that was a bad choice. Wrecked man. us. <laughs> um, but no, yeah, J- Jimmy Stewart coming home and, and seeing his kids and, and everything. Yeah, that I, when he grips them, it's it's. But it's there's hard. there's the conflict there, as well, because he is so frustrated. Oh, yeah. and so angry at them, for even being in his life and being the life that he didn't originally ever intend to yeah. have. Yeah. But at the same time. This is what I'm losing. Well, it's and the one thing I will say that I, I mean, my one my perspective of being a dad is, especially if you grow up never really ha- having thought about having kids. Like I was never, a, I would say against kids, but it was never, it was never really a thought that I had. Yeah, I want to have kids someday. It just, it just, it, it wasn't for me. And now that I have two, it's like you cannot, you cannot imagine your life before it. Yeah, it, it just, it's, and, and for those of you out there who don't want kids, that's, that's fine great we don't need any more people in the world anyway <laughs> but uh <laughs> but um way to contribute to our population flatline exactly um but <laughs> but yeah but it, you know seeing his but i know that moment too where it's like you love your kids to death and that's also why you you know the littlest thing sometimes if you're already at a, at a state that they can do something and it, it just it can it can it can frustrate you even if that thing is playing the piano yeah. right or asking you know, what's the capital of this you know it's it, you, you can have all those little things boil up and and again it's we've already said this before but it's it's so honest and realistic i don't i don't watch that scene and go well that happened pretty quick i go no i i genuinely i see what he's going through i understand all of this well it also helps that we've seen multiple things Yes. affect and change him. Oh, sure. Over the course of, I mean, we're this movie takes place really over about three decades, as yeah. far as I can tell. Mm-hmm. And we've also had uh, the war in between as well. We've had World mm-hmm. War II, yep. which like, is slightly different. T- this goes off on a different tangent from what we were just talking about. But the, the war footage there, I didn't do the research to find out, but that has to be war footage that Capra shot, because he's famous for having stopped making films for a while and gone over. yeah. Well, so Jimmy and Stewart was over there. Well, that, that's, that's unrelated, but Jimmy Stewart was over there too. Yeah, but that that footage I have to assume is is unused footage from the many documentaries that he made about World War II. That seems like a safe bet. Yeah, yeah. So you've got it, so why not use it? Yeah. I love the line about, you know, uh, George's brother went off to fight, but George stayed behind and fought the Battle of Bedford Falls. Yeah, he was George was four F. Yeah, yeah. I just wonder if, well. Yeah, I do. Again, I think that's all. It's tying all the loose ends. You know, of course, of course, George can't go 
because of his ear. You yeah. know, he has to stay. And he has, of course, he has. It's it's a little Truman showy, right? It's like he. What? Let's find all the ways that we can keep George yeah. in Bedford Falls. But it also it does the great thing. This might be a bit of a stretch as far as comparisons goes, but in our Back to the Future episode where we talked about them setting something up and then that that the way they wrote it with cards. Yeah. Well, we have a card that says this, so we need to have a card that either pays that off or sets that up. Yeah. And it it's perfect at doing that. It's it's a very well-structured script as far as, okay, so we're going to do this, but okay, now we have to either set it up or pay it off. And there's, there's even a la- there's a really late setup that isn't the, I mean, it's maybe not the best example of this, but it's the um, the top of the railing that keeps coming off. Oh, the, the ban- at the end of yeah, the banister. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, we the only, way he wants to throw it. We only see it a couple of times, but then, of course, it's one of the things when he, when he rushes back in at the end of the movie, he kisses it because it's just one of those... Things a, that you got to realize, you love it. You love this thing. And yeah. And now it. he's like, this proves that if nothing else did, this proves that I'm back. And yeah. Th- th- this is reality. This is just one of those things you couldn't make up. And as far as as, as great, as we talk about this, the script being structured really well, the score was something else that I, I made sure to make note of. Yeah. I love the score for this. I film. do too. And, and I think it's one of those great examples of knowing when to also pull back, which I guess was a point of contention as far as when we talk about trivial things, um, Dimitri Tomkin did mm-hmm. the score. And, yep. and for me, it's one of his best. Um, he was not nominated for this one. He did win four other Oscars. Uh, he's also famous for having scored High Noon, Strangers on a Train. I, uh, said, I knew he knew he did some stuff with Hitchcock. And uh, my personal favorite, and actually I, I think it's an amazing score as well, Guns of Navarone. Yeah, you already know I haven't seen it. So I know, I don't, it's yeah. a shame. But... He, I guess he had a really big falling out with Capra. Over, I guess there was a lot more music, especially in the attempted suicide scene that they decided not to use, which is great because they, they pull the music out there, which yeah. I think is the right choice. Me too. Yeah. It, it is. But uh, he called uh, their their editing of his score a scissor job, <laughs> which I feel is, a, is an artist being a little overprotective and probably a bit precious about their work. I would agree. Yeah. I would agree. I, I, th- I think they do the right thing. It's, it's used very sparingly. Yeah. Yeah, which is the smart thing to do. So, do you have a fa- like a favorite scene in this movie? Man, that's it's tough. I know it this is. movie. This, I, like I said, I saw it last year, and it, it's growing on me. And I know that it's going to be one of those traditional. I'm going to fall into that trope. I years ago I said oh, I'm never going to be one of those people that watches It's a Wonderful Life at Christmas. You will. Yeah. 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 I am it now. Just, it just it happens. If we hadn't have chosen this movie for the podcast, I I still would have watched it this yeah, Christmas. Exactly. Yeah. I mean. What are you going to do? Old age catches up with you, and you, you start slipping into those tropes that you said that you were never going to slip into. But it doesn't matter, because I'll counterbalance it with Die Hard. Perfect. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I actually watched Die Hard on Christmas Day. I watched it Christmas Eve, along with the Black Adder uh, Christmas Carol. I haven't seen that. Oh, you should. You should treat yourself, sir. <sighs> I know. I... And it's only half an hour. Okay. Nothing ventured, nothing gained. <laughs> sure. <laughs> <laughs> but okay, so favorite. Or, or oh, I, I'll let you cheat. You can pick like two, two max. Because I think I think it's I think it's the the payoff uh, with Gower in the in the bar in Martinis in the reality where he's dead. Yeah, and realizing because that for me is if you you're, you're so perplexed by the fact that you don't believe that this guy is really a guardian angel and that he's actually sh- you're actually now in a reality where you don't exist. I think that's the moment that it, ultimately it doesn't, but it, it it should stop you going, wow, even this decision that I made as a child. Look, at this man went to prison for 20 years, and now he's like the town panhandler. Yeah. 
You know what I mean? I, I love the setup and the payoff of that. I think is is fantastic. Yeah, it's a um, good one. I, it's, and again, it's another one of those moments that heart that's heartbreaking. And I think I think the best part of the movie is him clutching his child for the last time, the young son. That just it. I'm welling up right now as I say it. Fucking destroys me. When we get when we get to one of my my lines, it it might. Yeah, I'm gonna get there too. Yeah. I a scene we haven't talked about, um, and we don't have to talk about it much, but I do love the um, George going to visit Mary when she's back from college. And talking to Sam Wayne right on the phone, side by side, and you know George is really trying to not show his, his true feelings, and then well, no, he's kind of a he's kind of a dick to her. I mean, she's got Camptown Races playing on the record player, and she's got that piece of art that she's done with George actually lassoing the moon for her. Wait, 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 say that again. The whole th- say that from the beginning. What? What? You're talking about the scene. Where they're on the phone with Sam and yes. falling in love and their faces yeah. are brushing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, before that, he's he's kind of being a dick. Oh, to he's. Her. Oh my god! I thought he said she's. I'm like, wait, no. what? No. Okay. He's, yeah. No, he's, he's, he's he's absolutely. Being a dick. He's going out of his way yeah. to be a dick to her. Yes. Uh, and just to go on a, a slight tangent, before that, we have the scene with Vi. Yes. Which I don't feel is necessary in a film that's already as long as it is. Can we not just go straight from his house to Mary's? Do Man, we, you know I, what? I know that it it builds on showing his indecision. Yeah, but I don't think it's necessary. No, no. And honestly, I, I think we get that George cares enough. Like, I mean, we get the whole scene, you know, your money's, it's in Bill's house and, and, and Fred's house. We get the whole thing where we know he's compassionate. We know he cares about the people in Bedford Falls. Yeah. You, honestly, you could have cut Vi out of the movie. Yeah. Because they, they have a payoff for Vi as well in the reality where he doesn't exist. So I think you, yes. just, you lose them both. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and don't get me wrong. Her stuff doesn't, it's not bad or good, but I, I hear you. Yeah. And, and if the movie was, if the movie was atrociously long, that's easily something you could cut. But it's not. I mean, it's, yeah. it's two hours and change. Yeah. But anyway, you know, you're talking about the scene where their faces are brushing on the oh, phone. Oh, I just, it's just, it's just such a, I just, I just love that scene. Yeah. I just love seeing them finally kind of realize, or why should them, George realize that this, this is the person he's supposed to be yeah. with. And, and that, I, I, well, I, I love knowing that it was mostly unrehearsed. Yes. Like, and Jimmy Stewart was like, scared of having to do a scene where he had to kiss somebody because yeah. he, he hadn't done anything like that since before the war yeah yeah so it'd been a good few years since he'd done a quote-unquote love scene yeah or a kissing scene yes yeah we talk about some of the dialogue in this movie and how, how and you talked about this too how this film could have easily ventured into movie of the week like way too schmaltzy way too over the top and and it could have been ridiculous well yeah because you have the one of the things i found was kind of another unnecessary thing where he he hits the lighter and you know he says oh, he wishes for a million dollars and yes. then it always sparks and that's another thing that that's that's actually one of the few things maybe the only thing that isn't actually paid off Unless you count all the people bringing him the money at the end, sure. But that's not his yeah. money. But at the end of the movie, you know, everybody's bringing in, everybody's bringing stuff, and and you you're realizing that he's going to be okay, and and there's all this love. I mean, I mean, George and his family, they're going to be fine. The building loan's going to be saved. Everything's going. George isn't going to go to jail. Everything's going to be great. And then his brother ends with this this great line that it's it's so simple. To my brother George, the richest man in town. Yeah. That I think is the ultimate payoff of the movie. Yeah. Is that line? It's not. It's not the hearing the bells. It's not Clarence has got his wings. But well, that seems to be most people's favorite line every time a, a yeah. bell rings and angel gets its wings. But, but but his brother's line. Yeah. I openly cry. Like I. I'll cry in a movie, but it's because like the, the, the tears are coming. Like that got me yeah. hard this time. 
for whatever reason. And it just, again, I almost feel like it shouldn't work. Yeah. But it does. But, well, well, they set that up from the very beginning of the movie. They set that, that relationship up with him and the brother at the very beginning of the movie. And the whole point of that scene is to get to that line. Yeah. Yeah. I yeah no I I do one of those things where I try and like hold it back, you know what I mean. I yeah. the first time I watched it, Liz is like I want to see how many times you cry during this movie. So I'm like okay so this is a challenge then. So I'm like I'm sitting there and I'm holding it back and I'm just I can't I just can't hold it any longer. Like, I mean there are the a lot of times where you get close yeah in the, in it but for me, I think we I think we're actually it might be the, well, the him clutching his son yeah and then the, that line at the end of the movie yeah get me every time. And and old Lang Syne as well. Them all singing old Lang Syne because that's something we did in my household. Ah, oh, gotcha, at, gotcha. At midnight on New Year's Eve, okay. was sing old Lang Syne. Yeah, I don't know if that's something that's done here in the states. That seems like a more no. I, well, no. I, I feel like I see it. I feel like I see it in movies and TV more yeah. than I've seen it in real life. Like yeah. I had to learn old Lang Syne four of the show when I right. when I was doing yeah. it. Um, that was the first time I'd ever learned the words. Do you still know them? No. Is there anything else you want to? Anything else? Any other tidbits? I mean, I definitely. I, there was no moment that I really wanted to talk about that we didn't talk about. No, I, I think we hit it all. Uh, we've got your favorite scene, my favorite scene, unsung heroes. I don't know if this is an unsung hero, but I I kind of love the bartender. Oh, I so love do him I. in the alternate reality. We make hard drinks for hard people, and we don't need any characters rough and or whatever. I, he's yeah. just just. I love his delivery. He's so of that time. Yeah, it's. He's he's fun. I maybe him. Yeah, for me it's Gower. Sure. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. I almost put him as a main. Yeah, yeah. I I, I can't because he's I, only got like three scenes in the whole movie. Yeah. There's one thing, and here's it's an old movie, and so I we only haven't, have, we haven't spoiled anything. I think. Oh no no no! I'm not worried about is. that. I there's I take uh, there's one thing I have an issue with, and it's it's George slapping their black maid's ass. Early on in the movie, hasn't aged well at all, and I don't understand why he does. I think I think we can show a playful nature between him and the maid, without that. Yeah, I love her line at the end when she's bringing the money. You know, I was saving this money for a divorce if I ever had a husband. It's very funny. Like, yeah, it's a great great little bit. But it's kind of heartbreaking too. That's kind of cold. Like, oh. Well, if you're, I guess, diving deep into it, now that I've said it, I, I, this is kind of a heartbreaking line, but it's yeah. also, it's funny, whatever. But I, I, she also has the thing where, you know, George finally says that thing to his dad where he's you're talking about what a great daddy is, and she's like, it's about time when you knuckleheads said it. Yeah, thing. yeah. I mean, it's a good relationship, but yeah, the ass-slapping thing, we don't need that. Yeah, that's about the only, like, what the what the fuck moment Yeah, I really had in the movie. Yeah. The only the, the closest other one I had was it seemed really easy for those kids to open the floor in the gym. Yeah. <laughs> but, but but yeah, he has also, he has the key. Where I, did he get the key? Doesn't matter. I got the key. Yeah. You don't need to know where I got the key. Okay, so it's ridiculous question time. Ian, do you think this movie should be in the book? I'm not even going to dignify that with an answer. Great. I'll answer for him. That's a yes from both of us. Okay. We absolutely think this movie should be in the book. And honestly, if you haven't seen it, and I, I want to say that's a ridiculous thing to say, but it's not. You you may have not seen this movie. It took me 30 years to see it. Yeah, it took me 27. Yeah. And so if you haven't, do yourself a favor and watch this movie. It, it'll it'll soften even the hardest heart. Exactly. And Ian, I, and that's what it did to Ian. Yeah, I know I it cried did. twice. Yeah. And Ian doesn't cry. No. Um, Unless it's Schindler's List. Sure, yeah. And, and yeah, I, I honestly hope this becomes a part of your Christmas rotation. 
I hope I hope you wait. You mine, and, mine and you really and or, or and our listeners. I hope yeah. this becomes a part of your regular Christmas movie watching, you know, routine. And if you find it schmaltzy and saccharine, like like I do, just you know, counterbalance it with something like Die Hard or yes. Lethal Weapon. Exactly, exactly. And that's what we think. And uh, we hope you have a Merry Christmas. And we hope you can find some time over the next couple of days to um, let us know what you think. Uh, we are on Facebook and on Twitter. Uh, we're both quick to respond on those. So feel free to let us know what you think or any other any other tidbits that we didn't get to talk about. Things that you want to just put out there into the world. You can listen to us on Google Play and Spotify on iTunes. If you can subscribe and rate and review us, that would be great. That would be a great Christmas gift for us. Yeah, you absolutely. Know? Well, and I want to hear from anybody who doesn't think this should be in the book. I really, yeah. I really want to know those reasons. And I'm sure there might be people out there who find it schmaltzy and over the top and, and that it, it's not that yeah. good. But we we love we love doing this and we hope you love this movie. Um, until, I think, almost after the new year. No, not quite. No, not we've quite. got one more episode. One, one more before the end of the new year. Um, until then, though, I am Adam. And I am Ian. And we will see you next week. Merry Christmas. Merry The fool flew all the way up here in a blizzard. Oh, Harry, now about your banquet in New York. Oh, I left right in the middle of it. As soon as I got Mary's telegram. Good idea, Ernie. A toast. <laughs> to my big brother, George, the richest man in town. Oh!